Well, there's a first time for everything, and that's the first time that I have ever had to follow an opera singer. <laughs> and I don't wish that on anyone. <laughs> but uh, on the heels of my brother telling you about being equipped, I want to just mention to you that I brought a very small quantity of my books. They are in the back on the table, and they'll be here in the morning as well. Uh, there's five different titles. There's three books for women, one book for men, and there is a book called The Holy Spirit is Not for Sale, which is uh, kind of along the lines of what we are going to be talking about tonight because I feel that uh, the Holy Spirit wants me to talk to you about preparing for the next wave of the Holy Spirit. And we have a couple of images on the screen that they can put up tonight, but I'm going to begin uh, with a passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah. We do not have this passage on the screen, so I'd like to ask if you could turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, this is a passage that I have been living in and referring to a lot this past year, and I'm going to read the first six verses, Isaiah 35. 1 through 6. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted. Is anybody in here exhausted? And strengthen the feeble and say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. Would you turn to someone tonight and say, something good is coming. I want to just start the evening off by telling you that I am not a pessimist and that I am not one of these Bible prophecy experts who likes to get the church scared about what is happening in the world because I don't believe that we're supposed to be looking to government or politics or the world system to figure out what God is doing. Sorry if that burst anybody's bubble. I know there's a lot of Christians today that they sell a lot of books and they love to read a lot of things to get everybody scared and, and worked up and we're all, you know, supposed to be worried about blood moons and we're supposed to be worried about uh, the most recent Supreme Court decision and all of those things. But I'm still reading my Bible And I'm still connected to my Father in heaven and what he's saying. And I am convinced that what God is saying is that he is going to mercifully send another Holy Spirit awakening to the world. And I don't believe that he has written off the United States of America. But I am very aware that it's gotten pretty dry. It says the wilderness and the desert will be glad because the rain's coming. Anybody feeling dry? Anybody looking around and noticing that there's a wilderness feeling going on? Now, I'm looking at this audience, and I'm noticing 
that a lot of us in this room have been around for a while. <laughs> now, I was picked up today at the airport by my brother Landon Gandalfi, who is the age of my second daughter. And I was really blessed to get to know him and to find out that your movement has some young people. Amen? That's important. But a lot of us in this room are old enough to remember a previous wave of the Holy Spirit. Some of our younger brothers and sisters have not really seen that yet. And I told Landon today as we were driving here, I said, uh, my message is for you. Because I believe it is important for us to prepare the next generation for what's about to happen. I am a product of the previous move of the Holy Spirit. I was raised in Atlanta, Georgia, if you can't tell that already. I was raised a Southern Baptist. I was raised in a very traditional church. We, we worshiped God like this. If we didn't have a book in our hands. Um, we talked a lot about Jesus. In fact, that is where I learned about Jesus Christ. That's where I learned about salvation. I am eternally grateful to Southern Baptists for teaching me about Jesus Christ. And one thing that they told me in that church in Atlanta, Georgia was if it's in the Bible, you should believe it. And I was taught to love and respect the Bible. There was just one problem. We really didn't talk too much in that church about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I, re I never really heard him talk about it at all. In fact, I didn't even know he was a him. I referred to the Holy Spirit as it because we just never had any teaching or there was never much talk about him. It was usually Jesus and it was salvation, and once you got saved, it was kind of like, what do you do now? And it was like, well, tell other people about Jesus and get them saved, which was great. But then when I got to be uh, 18 years old, I was in that church. I was just about ready to graduate from high school, and I was going to be going to college in North Georgia. I was going to be leaving home. Just had a couple of months more for, uh, before I would be leaving and a very strange woman came to our church. She was not like any Southern Baptist I had ever met. This lady talked about Jesus like she had just been in the car with him. I thought she was strange. I asked a friend of mine, what is it about that lady? And this one guy said, well, we heard that she's something called a charismatic and I had never heard that term before. I thought it sounded like some kind of a back problem <laughs> or a disease. I didn't know. Charismatic. I got charismatic. <laughs> but I just, and this lady was a Sunday school teacher, and she became the Sunday school teacher for the college class that I was in just about ready to leave, leave town and so I decided I would just get up the nerve to ask her what this was about. And so I went to her after uh, church one Sunday, and I said, what does this mean to be a charismatic? Well, she didn't really want to tell me at that moment. In fact, she kind of was very evasive, and then she said, why don't you come to my house, and I will share with you what that's all about. Now, I didn't realize the reason why she did that was because the pastor had told her, do not talk about this in church. She was being very submissive to the pastor. She was also being very sneaky. <laughs> and so I went to her home one afternoon, and I walked in her family room, and she had a, a, a lounge chair sitting in one corner, and there was all these Bibles stacked up, and then there was these other books something called a concordance, and something called Vine's Dictionary, and she had all these 
books, and I remember just thinking, why would anyone have more than one Bible? And then when she opened her Bible, it was like rainbow. It was yellow and purple and blue and red and things written up and down the margins. And I thought, why would anybody ever write in their Bible? And then I said, so what is this all about? And she said, well, Lee, and I'll never forget these words. She said, there is more after salvation. I said, well, what is it? (laughs) She said, there is a second experience that every Christian can have. It is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, she took me to some scriptures in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, and talked about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then she turned over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and began to go through about the different gifts of the Holy Spirit, like healing, and prophecy, and word of knowledge, and speaking in tongues, and she showed me some other scriptures in the book of Acts about when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, and I was listening to her, and I was thinking in my mind what I had heard all my life, if it's in the Bible, you should believe it. But I had never been told about those scriptures. It was like, I, my first question was, why didn't everybody, anybody ever tell me this? And she was not bashing anybody. She was not negative about anybody. She just said, well, they just didn't know. And so she gave me all this information. I wrote down these scriptures. And then she handed me a stack of books. And one of those books was a book called The Holy Spirit and You by a guy named Dennis Bennett who was an Episcopalian. And I had never heard of one of those either. (laughs) And so these books were all about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So she sent me on my way. I went home and I took this big stack of books home. And you have to understand that my Southern Baptist mother... At that particular time in my life, she was really praying hard because I was getting ready to go to college. She wasn't convinced that I was really where I needed to be with God. She was a little worried, kind of a little bit wishy-washy in my walk with God. And so she was really praying hard that I would be, you know, strong in, in my faith. And so then I walk in the door that night, and I've got this big stack of books. And on the very top was a book by a Southern Baptist woman. Uh, named Francis Hunter, and the book was called, Why Should I Speak in Tongues? And I think at that moment, my mother went to praying even harder for me. She didn't realize that God was actually answering her prayers. How many parents know that You know, sometimes God will answer your prayers for your kids in a different way than you were thinking he was. (laughs) And so I went up in my room, and for a week, I read those books, and I read those scriptures. And before the week was over, I had a yellow highlighter, and I was underlining things in my Bible. All the scriptures I could find about the Holy Spirit were in yellow. And there's a lot of them. It was like my eyes were opened. Well, I waited about a week, and I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing. So I decided, well, you know, the best way for me to do this is I'm going to go to my church. But I went there on a Sunday night when nobody was there, after everybody was out of the building. I went behind the church. I went on the volleyball court. Nobody was there, 9 o'clock at night. It was a very hot August night. What's today? No, what's the date? Is it the 5th? You're kidding me. Okay, wait a minute. It wasn't August. It was September. It was September 5th. It was September 5th. I was like, wow, that's cool. They put the same day. But no, it was September because I was just about to go to school. September 5th, 1976. How many of you remember 1976? Okay, I'm dating myself here. On that night, I sat down on that volleyball court. There wasn't a soul around. And I, I remember, now you got to understand, I've never, ever seen anybody lift their hands before in worship. 
I have never been in any kind of Pentecostal meeting. I have never seen anybody fall under the power. I've never seen anybody prophesy. I've never heard anybody speak in tongues. I was a Southern Baptist. But for some reason, I decided to lift my hands. And in surrender, I just sat there on that cold concrete step. And I said, Lord, I want to ask you right now, would you please baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And then I kind of went like this. Some of you understand that, right? I didn't know what was going to happen. I'd read about Acts chapter 2. There was wind, wind and fire. and I didn't know. But I want you to know that on that night, around 9... 7 p.m. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit on Southern Baptist property. And I became an accident waiting to happen. I mean, really, I, 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 I circle that day in red because everything about my life ever since goes back to that moment. I was transformed. Now, I didn't understand when that happened. I did not understand that I was now immersed in something so much bigger than I was. I didn't know that there was a wave of the Holy Spirit sweeping across America at that time. I didn't know there had been a movement that had started in the very late 50s and had been growing in the 60s, and it hit the Catholic Church in the late 60s, and then it hit the, uh, the Presbyterians, and it hit the Baptists, and it hit the Methodists, and it hit the Mennonites, and it was being poured out in all these different denominations. I didn't know any of that. But God in his grace and his mercy said, I'll take him, I'll, I'll use him. And he filled me with his power right there. A clueless Southern Baptist teenager. Had no clue that in a few more years I would end up being in charge of the largest charismatic magazine in the world. Had no clue that was going to happen. I'm sure God understood that. I was just uh, so happy to be full of his power, and all of a sudden my eyes were open. The word of God came alive to me, and I had a, an insatiable desire to tell everybody about Jesus and what he had done for me. And I just was, you know, I went to college, and uh, I'll never forget that first week being at my school in North Georgia, and there was a lot of Christians in our school. There, it wasn't a Christian school, but some of us figured out we were Christians, and we got together, and one Sunday night, we were all sitting around outside. Somebody had a guitar. We were singing songs, and then we went around and gave testimony, and, and then we all got goosebumps because it turned out that every one of those students had been baptized in the Holy Spirit that same summer. That was the 70s. That was a time when God... And do you know that in that same time period, there were a lot of people griping and complaining about the way the world was just so bad. And we had Vietnam, and we had the sexual revolution, and we had all these social problems, and everybody was saying, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And the late great planet Earth that went through about 10 different printings. Because if you want to focus on the negative, you can. But in the midst of that time, the Spirit of God was being poured out on the wilderness. And some of us got in the flow of that, and we got empowered by God, and we got filled with the Holy Spirit and I'll never forget going in a Christian bookstore in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was back in those days, you know, where you, you had to kind of be a little bit careful when you talked about this. 
And I would go to the lady at the counter and I would say, do you have any books about the Holy Spirit? And she would say, yes. And she would get them out from underneath the counter. (laughs) Contraband. Do y'all remember that? I don't know what it was like in Connecticut. Those were wonderful days. And in the early part of the charismatic movement, and I'm saying this for the benefit of people like Landon who weren't around back then to know, in the earliest days of the charismatic movement, which I had the privilege of at least getting to experience a little bit of that time, it was pure. People talked about the fear of God. People were just happy to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit and they were hungry for His presence and they would go to these meetings and go to those meetings and we were just looking for God and it wasn't a show, it wasn't uh, programmed, it was just fresh and it was new and people were getting baptized in the Spirit and people were getting saved, healings were breaking out. It was a wonderful time in the spirit and then something happened and this is what I want to share with you tonight is that as I have prayed for another outpouring of the spirit and I have become convinced that that is going to happen the Lord has also showed me This is where the balls were dropped in the last move. And I believe that we could learn from our mistakes so that we don't do it again. Amen? How many of you would like for this movement that you are in to experience a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe it's possible? We sang tonight about, Lord, breathe on us. We need his breath. We need his quickening. Some of us are tired. Some of us are feeble. Some of us are exhausted. There are some pastors here in this weekend who need an infusion of God's Spirit in a very deep and a very personal way. This is not just a business meeting. For you guys. I believe the Spirit wants to breathe His breath into you afresh. But if He does that, how do we carry this? How do we walk with integrity so that we don't mess it up again? I just want to briefly go through five different ways that we have done this in the past. And just give us all some warnings. Number one is, if you go to that next slide, I want to say to us tonight, do not exploit it. You know, when you read the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and people are empowered and Peter, who had just a few weeks before, been one who denied Jesus Christ and he felt condemned. And then Jesus restored him and then he waited and prayed with the rest of the disciples. And when the Spirit of God came on Peter, he stood up and preached a sermon and thousands of people were saved. That's the same guy who had denied Jesus a few weeks ago. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will change your life. And it will take a person who feels like a failure, maybe even a failure in ministry. He'll take that person and transform them. So we have all that going on in Acts chapter 2. But you just have to go a few chapters to Acts chapter 5 and you find out the first place where the enemy gets in there and tries to Uh, pull the rug out from under this move of God and try to get in there and mess it up. And what what is it? It's when Ananias and Sapphira get greedy 
They see dollar signs and they try to use their financial influence to, you know, control the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Folks, do you know that that has happened to us? It wasn't long before, after the initial outpouring of the Spirit in the 60s and 70s, that all of a sudden we started hearing more and more messages about how to buy your blessing. Now, please hear me. I'm not against biblical prosperity. We need a lot of money to do the work of the kingdom. And we need people to be generous. And God wants to bless people so that they can become a blessing. But somehow in the midst of the 60s and 70s, all of a sudden when we got into the 80s, all of a sudden it all became about how you can, can, can get God to do this for you and you can manipulate God to do that for you. And if you do this little gimmick and this little thing, and then before you know it, we had people on TV who were selling the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens when people do that? The Bible says the Holy Spirit can be quenched. You might as well pour a big ice-cold gallon of water on the fire because that's what happened when we started doing that. And when we start thinking that we can put a dollar sign on the anointing of the Holy Spirit or that we can do like one person did in my city not too long ago and came to Orlando and had a meeting and in the uh, closing part of his meeting he said, tonight we're going to be giving prophetic words but we want to just uh, announce to you that those of you who can give $1,000 will be receiving that prophetic word. Now that's scary enough, but what was really scary was that people got out their checkbooks and wrote checks. Because when you try to buy the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that's witchcraft. And it brings something horrible, something negative on the people who would even buy into that. And so slowly, through things like that, we just basically said, okay, Holy Spirit, you can go over there. You can stay over here because we'd rather have our little show than to, than to let you come in and control things. Hello? So we have to search our hearts and make sure we don't have any Ananias and Sapphira in us. Amen? Number two, I want to ask you tonight, do not fabricate the Holy Spirit. You know, there is, um, there is a recipe in the book of Exodus. There's actually a few recipes in the Bible, but this is a very important recipe. It is the recipe for the oil, the anointing oil, that the uh, priests used in the tabernacle. And the Bible is very clear under the Old Covenant. It said, this is how you make it. This is how much of this you put in it. This is how much of that you put in it. This is how much olive oil you use. It has to be this uh, ratio, and you cannot change the recipe. That was Old Covenant. That was just a symbol and a type of the New Testament. But how many of you know that we have a more precious oil now? We have the oil of the Holy Spirit, the oil that He anoints us with so that we can do the very works that Jesus did. We have the oil that allows us to experience the very presence of Jesus Christ in our own lives, individually and corporately. And I believe the Lord wants His anointing to be pure. He did not like it in the Old Testament when somebody came and messed with the recipe or mixed strange fire in the tabernacle. In fact, there were two priests who did that, and the Bible says He slew them in His presence 
as an example to us because any time we take it in our own hands to change the recipe, then he vacates the place. And it brings spiritual death to a movement if we ever do that. That means that we don't pretend to have the anointing. And that means that we don't do things to make people think we have the anointing. That means that we don't rely on a show or manipulation or certain gestures or certain uh, behaviors to make people think so we can whip up a crowd to make them think that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is there just so we can entertain people. Amen? How many of you tonight would say, I've been there, I've seen it all, and I want the real thing? Several years ago, I was in a meeting in Orlando, Florida, with a prominent uh, minister. And I was sitting somewhere over here, and at at the close of the service, this person announced that he wanted to pray for all the full-time ministers, and so we were all seated together, and so we kind of all stood up, and and then uh, this guy had several uh, kind of like bodyguards who started pulling us onto the stage so that we would get prayed for by this person. I was sort of like, I, I, I didn't really have a choice because... We were kind of all up there being pulled on, onto the stage. So finally, I was pulled up there, and I was told by this guy, stand here. And I had to stand there, and this guy was going around and praying very aggressively for everyone. And I say aggressively in a nice way. And then he came at me. And he came from across the stage, and when he got to me, he went, and I went down on the floor and I went ow (laughs) and some of my friends ran over to me later and like wow you really went under the power (laughs) and I said I didn't go out under the power I was slapped silly Now, I know how this works, folks. I've been in this thing a long time. I know that sometimes we just sort of go along with things. Sometimes, you know, because I believe that there are times when the presence of God is so strong and his anointing is so powerful that your knees can feel weak and, and, and really it's just... Easier to just fall under the power. I understand that. I also understand that some of us just do what we call courtesy drops. And I also know that some ministers push. Because we have this attitude that if everybody is laying on the floor, then that means God came. Well, you know what? That's a bunch of bunk. Because I've been in meetings where everybody was on the floor, and I knew they got up and they went out the door and they weren't changed. We can go through the motions of something that happened 10 years ago to sort of live in some kind of holy nostalgia. But you know, I've seen God move in a room where nobody was on the floor. And they were so cut to the quick by the Spirit of God moving in their hearts. They were changed. They didn't have to fall. I'm not against falling. If God wants to do that tonight, great. But what I'm saying is, if you are manipulating people, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's you. You change the recipe, 
And that's not the anointing of the Spirit. That's your anointing. And so I think God just says, okay, y'all have your show. Go ahead and do your thing. And then when you're tired of that and you're ready for the real thing, let me know. I'll come. Amen? How many of y'all want the real thing? And you know what I have learned? I am the father of four girls. They're all in their 20s. I spend a lot of my time now with young people. I invest most of my time with people in their 20s. The younger generation does not fall for the fake. The older folks can be doing courtesy drops on the floor, and the younger ones are sitting around going, What's that? What's up with that? Right? But if they feel the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is moving on them, and they fall, man, they are changed. They just want it to be real. Well, you know, when I think about it, I'm the same way too. Why did we ever get to the place where we thought we had to be like, you know, that story of the emperor's clothes where everybody's going, oh, yeah, wow, look at that. Wow, look at that amazing outfit he's wearing. And then the young 20-something's going, he's naked. (laughs) Right? Don't fake it. Would you turn to somebody tonight and say that, please? Don't fake it. Number three. Don't corrupt it. In Atlanta, Georgia, where I was filled with the Holy Spirit, just a few miles from where that Baptist church was where I was baptized in the Spirit. There was a charismatic church that grew very large in the 70s. And it became one of the largest charismatic churches in America. It grew to 10,000 members. It was one of the big hubs of charismatic renewal in this country. And then in the 80s and in the 90s, some news began to come out that was not good. All of a sudden, we were finding out things that it's hard to even talk about in a church service. We were finding out that visiting ministers were coming to that church, and they were being offered prostitutes while they were there to preach by the staff of the church. We began to find out that the leader of the movement had multiple affairs with multiple women in that church. And before it was all over, and before it hit the pages of the Atlanta Journal in the 90s, we found out that this church had become a nest of Jezebel. It was, it was revelation played out before us that, you know, the Bible says Jezebel is the spirit that leads people into acts of immorality. And why would we be surprised that the enemy would just roll over? We, you know, the enemy doesn't just roll over and play dead. When we get serious about the things of the Holy Spirit, he is going to try to attack. And this is one of the areas where he really got in and people fell for it. And all of a sudden, our movement became full of sexual immorality to the point that in my own city, Orlando, Florida, we have had over the past few years a, a, a uh, series of major churches where in each case the pastor had to step down because of a moral failure to the most recent one <clears throat> that the pastor of a large church, 5,000 member church, a pastor who was a powerful preacher. When he preached, it was like the paint peeled off the wall. People went there to hear this guy because he was so energetic and passionate. 
But you know, I've learned that your anointing doesn't necessarily reflect what's going on in your heart in terms of your power over people, over an audience. How many of you know God still cares about personal purity? And this guy was this powerful preacher, but then all of a sudden we turned, we got up one morning and read our newspapers. And it turned out that this guy was involved in a year-long affair with a woman that he met in a strip club in France. His wife and the mother of his five children ended up divorcing him because he was not repentant. He never left the pulpit. He stayed in the pulpit even after all this came out. And then a year later, he was found dead in a hotel room in New York City with drugs in the room. Because I don't think he could live with himself after all that was exposed. Folks, it is not supposed to end this way. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is something that we can carry and we can faithfully walk with. This does not have to be our fate. But we do have to acknowledge the fact that if we have areas of brokenness in our life, we are going to have to open up our hearts to each other and we're going to have to find healing for these problems or this stuff is going to come back to bite us. And this is one of the big issues of the charismatic movement in the past is that people found out that they could carry the anointing of God and they could whip up a crowd and they could peel paint off the wall by preaching and they could, you know, see a whole uh, room of people fall on the floor But then they still had their personal darkness inside that they were afraid to tell anybody about. And so they kept all of that inside and it ended up backfiring in their faces. This is why those of us who are fathers and mothers in this movement now, we must teach our spiritual sons and daughters that you have got to open up your life. You've got to get your stuff healed. If you've got a pornography addiction, you need to get healing from that. If you've got other issues of sexual brokenness, if you were abused in your past, if you've got a lot of ugly skeletons in your closet, we're going to still love you. We're going to work through this, but you've got to get it out, and we've got to talk about this, and we've got to get you healed. Because we've got to have healthy leaders. Because healthy leaders can get a church healthy. But if you've got unhealthy leadership, then you're going to have what we ended up with in Atlanta, Georgia. And by the way, that church is now closed and the building has been sold to a Baptist church. And all of that history gone from that previous era, the doors just shut on that because corruption Ruined it. Are we going to learn the lessons? Number four. We denominationalized it. I don't really know if denominationalize is a word. But I do know that in the early days of the charismatic movement, you could go to a meeting and it didn't matter what church background people had. We were happy to have every stripe, every stream. We were happy to have Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Catholics. And I remember being in meetings and seeing these Catholic nuns back in the back dancing in the spirit. And everybody was just excited about being baptized in the Holy Ghost. And you didn't really care who they were with. And then fast forward a little bit more, we became very sophisticated, and we started, instead of building bridges in the body of Christ, we started building walls. And before you know it, we didn't really associate with them, we don't talk to them, Uh, they don't do it quite like we like it, we don't really like their music, we're cooler than they are. They're too old. Anybody relate to that?
lesson because this used to be an Italian denomination, and we've proved tonight that you're not that anymore. Amen? Are we kingdom people? Because I want to just say something prophetically to you that God dropped in my heart during the worship, and that is the Lord said to t- for me to tell you, fling your doors open. You have a heritage of an immigrant church, people who came here from Italy who were persecuted back home, and then they came here and probably suffered more persecution in America just for being Italian. But I believe God is saying that he wants you as a movement to open your eyes to the people all around you who have come from other nations Immigrant communities that have come here that feel very much the same way your, your spiritual ancestors did when they came. Because God says, in your DNA, there is something about you that is been, you've been fashioned and formed to reach those immigrant communities. And God is going to release a new strategy to you on how to do that. And they probably come from a lot of different backgrounds than you do. And we're going to have to get over our cultural blinders. Amen? And any denominational blinders that we have. It's interesting that the first group that the Jews in the book of Acts were called to reach was the Italians. You guys have a very heavy responsibility in Scripture. Amen? Because the Jews, I mean, even Peter, and they're speaking in tongues already. This is Acts chapter 10. They're already speaking in tongues, but they still don't get it. That God might just have it in his mind to cross over the line and break through the wall and touch other people that were outside of their comfort zone. But in the end, they did. That knock came on the door, and Peter opened the door, and there those guys were from the house of Cornelius. And they said, we want you to come. And I wish we had a video of that day when Peter walked into that house. And I'm sure the first thing he smelt in that Italian house was garlic. (laughs) And fettuccine Alfredo. And shrimp and pork and all the things that Jews don't eat because Jews did not go to Italian houses. But when Peter walked in there and when he preached the gospel to those Italians and he saw the Holy Spirit poured out on them and they began to speak in tongues just like he had a few weeks before. Do you remember what Peter said? He said, now I realize that God does not show favoritism to any man. Amen? That's your heritage. Who better to show that to the American church than the Italians? And all those who have hooked up your wagons with the Italians in this group. Who better to do that? You are a kingdom people. And it can't be about your group and, you know, we don't like them because they don't do it our way. You know, I'm ordained in a certain denomination. I'm not going to even tell you the name of it from this platform. But the truth of of the matter is I go to all kinds of churches. I don't go to just my kind. Amen. Now, there's some kind of churches that don't normally invite me. I have not been asked to go back to a Southern Baptist church. (laughs) But if they invite me, I'll go and I'll tell them the same story I told you tonight. Amen? Actually, there are many Pentecostal Southern Baptist churches now. But we got to be kingdom people. 
And number five is that we professionalized it. Don't professionalize the move of the Spirit. I love it that in Acts chapter 2, right after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right after the first disciples speak in tongues, there's this verse in Acts 2.42 that says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that word fellowship is the word koinonia in Greek. And it is the first time that that word appears in Scripture. Because you cannot have koinonia until the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And people are like, you know, what is koinonia? This is a word that just sort of appears in Scripture. It's translated fellowship in English. I don't know what the word is in Italian. But it's a concept that really did not exist until the New Testament. Because koinonia is supernatural. Koinonia is the amazing supernatural connection that we feel with another Christian because the Holy Spirit is in you and the Holy Spirit is in me and therefore we have a spiritual bond. And there is no other religion in the world that has that. This is why the Bible says when the world sees the love that we have for one another, they'll want to be a part of this. Koinonia is something that the New Testament church lived in, thrived in, soaked in. It was normal New Testament Christianity. And I have been learning over the last maybe 10 or 15 years the value of this. And it has become more and more precious to me. and, And I look around the church a lot of times and I realize a lot of Christians are not experiencing the depth of fellowship that is our inheritance in Christ. And part of that is because we turned church into a business and we turned turned church into just some kind of a concert or some kind of a spectator sport where everybody just files in, files out, and then, you know, as churches grow, then all of a sudden we just have, you know, uh, three songs and a sermon and get in, get out, maybe have a little coffee before you go and let's get the next group in here because we got to get them in here and get their ties and so we can pay for this big building we built. And you can do that for so long and all of a sudden people are getting, getting really tired of that because guess what? Christians were designed to have a relationship with one another. And you cannot have a relationship with people sitting in chairs like this for one hour a week and then going home. That's not enough. You got to be sitting around with one another. You got to be eating Italian sausage with one another. You got to be in small groups with one another. You got to be being real with one another. You got to meet together for coffee and get real about your issues and spill your guts with one another because that's what Christianity is really all about relationship. You know, it's so funny. I went to that Italian meeting in Canada. I was telling uh, my, my buddy um, th- this afternoon about this, that I walked into the meeting. I was sitting on the podium with 10 t- Italian guys in suits from Italy. And I was wearing jeans. Whoops. They were wearing ties. And I'm looking at my phone, and I had a text, and there was a guy saying, I'm so excited to hear you tonight, and I'm in the meeting. So I texted him back and said, oh, that's cool. I'd love to meet you. And then the next thing you know, he texted me back on Twitter. This was on Twitter. And he said, I'm staring at you right now. (laughs) So I'm looking out of the audience, and I see this bald-headed guy over here, a young guy. His name is Michael Coretti. I ended up walking over to Michael that night, 
And do you know that within five minutes, we were bonded in the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, knew, I'm supposed to know this guy. Do you know that we are close friends today? Talk to him all the time. And he's speaking at my men's conference in October in Philadelphia. And that is supernatural. That's because the Spirit of God is in me and in him, and the Spirit knows how to do that. In that same meeting was this beautiful couple, uh, and the woman's name was Dorina. And uh, they were hosting me in this meeting, and we became very good friends. During that, during that conference, and have done lots of stuff together since then. And then today, Dorina writes me and says, I have a twin sister named Norina who's going to be in your meeting tonight. And I got to go over there and have dinner with them tonight, and the Holy Spirit connected us. Now, that's just normal for us Christians, Right? But how many of you know that that is a work of the Holy Spirit? That is just as supernatural as you uh, receiving a healing or a prophetic word. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to connect us because he knows that we need people in our lives, and he's the one that knits us together. Do you believe that, folks? That's why we have fellowships. That's why we have denominations. That's why we have organizations like this. It's not just so we can have business meetings. It's because we are on an organic, connected group of people that the Holy Spirit is assembling together for His work and for His purpose. My friendship with Michael Coretti is not just because we like to be together. It's also because God has something special He wants us to do together. And He's the one that knits hearts together. And yet today, I look around at the church, and I see a lot of meetings, and I see a lot of burning out Christians because we turn church into a business. And I believe we have to go back to the way it was supposed to be in the book of Acts. And that's a living, organic community that's receiving the teaching and we're praying, and we're eating together, but we have koinonia. We have a supernatural bond of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Do y'all want that? That's what this weekend is about. That's why we have these fellowship meetings. It's not, okay, it's, it's, it's August again. We have to have our, our annual meeting. No. <laughs> it's like, I can't wait to go back to that meeting because I'm going to see arena and I'm going to see all my my friends there and I need them in my life and I need these these I need to encourage my friends and I want to see them go forward and fulfill their ministry and maybe God wants to use me to encourage somebody there amen so here's the here's the takeaway tonight guys Instead of exploiting it, we need a giving church. Everybody say giving church. Instead of fabrication, we need a genuine church. Instead of a corrupted movement, we need a holy church. Instead of denominationalizing it, we need a kingdom church. And instead of professionalizing, we need a loving church. I'm going to ask my brother to come on up, and I'm going to close with a, just a brief story that I want to share. And then we're going to pray for you tonight. I just got back... Um, in the latter part of June, from a trip to Bolivia, I noticed that you have the Bolivian flag and you have a missionary there. I've gone to Bolivia several times, and I, I do work with a large church that has ministries all over the nation. But some of you may not know the story of 
the move of the spirit that happened in Bolivia in the early 70s. And I want to just summarize what happened for you just so you can get a taste of what I believe God still wants to do with us. In 1971, there was a young man, 19 years old, named Julio Rabal. He was a Bolivian student. He came to the United States. He was studying, and he went to Los Angeles, and he ended up in a meeting with evangelist Catherine Kuhlman. In that meeting, he went down to the altar, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit at age 19. Shortly after that, he went back to La Paz, Bolivia. He began to, sort of like in my story, he, he was with students. He started hanging around with a lot of students. He started sharing with students about what happened to him. He began to get, uh, many students were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit in La Paz. And a movement of students began to uh, grow. There was one particular incident of many like this. When he, um, he called up this lady and he asked her, could you please cook food for us? I'm going to bring a group of students over to the, your house. We just need a place to meet, and we need some food. Would you be willing to do that? She said, sure. How many of you are, is it going to be? And he said, I think it will be about 20 students. When he, got up, when he got there that evening, and she had cooked that food, he had 200 students. And the lady got very upset because she didn't have enough meals. And Julio just said, Sister, don't worry. Jesus is here. And I heard a man tell this story who was in that room that night. He said, there was the sense of the presence of Jesus in that meeting. And that that woman just continued to scoop the chicken and the rice out of that pot all night. And it never ran out. And all 200 people ate. Shortly after that, Julio got a phone call from an office of some government office. And the person on the other end said, we'd like for you to come in. We need to talk to you. Uh, it's urgent. So he went to this office where they told him to go. And it turned out that he was called into a meeting with the president of Bolivia. And the president of Bolivia explained to him that his wife was deathly ill and that he needed, uh, he had been hearing about Julio's ministry among students. He had been hearing that there were some healings and that he wanted Julio to pray for his wife. And so they arranged for him to go and do that. Julio went to her. He prayed for her. And this woman was completely and totally healed of some kind of incurable condition. And as a result of the healing, the president of Bolivia gave his heart to Jesus. Now, it, does, it gets better. <laughs> Some of you may have heard the story, because this is in the history books. After the president became a Christian, he called Julio again, and he said, we want you to tell the nation about Jesus. And so the president of Bolivia arranged for some stadiums in La Paz and Cochabamba, in Sucre and some other cities, arranged for police, arranged for transportation, arranged for uh, security, all the issues involved. And, they, and the government promoted these meetings. And for four months, Julio Ribal went to different cities in Bolivia and held these large meetings in stadiums and I've actually seen pictures of these meetings. I'm talking about large soccer stadiums full to the brim of people and people hanging on the outside and people seated on mountainsides nearby watching because they couldn't get seats in the stadium. And while Julio would preach, he did not pray for the sick. He didn't lay hands on people. He simply told the story of the gospel and while he would preach, people would start getting healed in the stadiums. And in some of the pictures, you can see 
wheelchairs just piled up that people had abandoned because of healings. For four months, this went on. And in that course of four months, 500,000 people gave their life to Jesus over that time period. And when you go to Bolivia today and you see the evangelical churches there and the Pentecostal churches, usually those churches that are there grew out of that revival. Most Pentecostal churches in Bolivia today came from those meetings and from the result of those meetings. Four months. Folks, do we believe that God can still do that? Hallelujah. That's not something back in the, in the New Testament. This is 1971. When there was a similar wave of the Spirit coming to America in those days. M most of us had no clue that was happening down there. Because Bolivia was a very isolated place. News didn't travel too fast back then. We didn't have Instagram telling us tonight about what happened. Folks, I believe it is going to happen again. Yes, Lord. Yes, oh God. And I believe that our hearts have got to be become desperate and hungry. And we've got to long for His presence and His power to pour the floods on the desert again. And why not? Why wouldn't He want to do that with us? Why wouldn't He want to do that with this group? Why would he not want to pour out his Holy Spirit in a fresh way on you as a movement? We're, we're feeble. We're exhausted. We're dry. We're tired. But God is the one who promised, I will pour out floods on dry ground.